Hi everyone, welcome to Tokyo Jazz Joints Pod. I had to think about that there. <laughs> Let me try that again. <laughs> have you, have, I stopped have, on have joints. you been moonlighting, recording other podcasts or something? What the hell, man? I don't know. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm busted. At least I have an excuse. I've got, I've got my own. <laughs> right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tokyo Jazz Joints podcast. And this is the second in a series of four where we're looking at places up north. That's the simple way to put it, isn't it, James? How are you this week? I'm feeling very professional at the moment compared to that uh, rather choppy intro. I don't blame you. Yeah, I'm... (laughs) I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I've been I've been busy. A lot of music stuff here. Uh, you know, I found a good new beer supplier as well with a big stock of imported uh, imported goods. So yeah, everything's, Ooh, everything's rocking and rolling, and and I'm ready to take another trip up to the distant north of the Tohoku region. I believe, um, as you said, this is part two of a four parter, uh, but uh, we're going to a very different city. This time, I mean, believe last week we spoke about Akita, which is on the extreme northwest, very, very distant. And today we're going to go up to, I believe, the largest city in northern Japan, except for Sapporo. And it's um, recently really? got a lot of a lot of great publicity too. About three or four months ago, <laughs> very randomly, there was a a a large, uh, a very long article in the New York Times saying Morioka was one of the top places to visit in the world. So that, that was a bit of a surprise. But but I've been up there and it is quite lovely. So you know I can understand people who visit Japan and and want to see something a little bit outside the ordinary of just going to Tokyo or Kyoto. Um, I can certainly vibe with them going up to Morioka. But we are not here to. To, uh, do the work of the Morioka Tourist Bureau. We are going deep into. Well, I, I mean, apparently they don't. Apparently they don't need any help, right? Because I mean, I think in actual fact it was second on that list. So all those shopping bags are going to have to be changed now to like Tokyo, New York, London, and Morioka because <laughs> it's it's up there. I mean, and and it's everywhere because like when when I went. So obviously th- this is a continuation of my trip from Akita. So I I be, I'd stayed the night in Akita with my friend Tom. Unfortunately, I'm just texting you, but I can't text you everything because I'm trying to save these stories. And if you look at the map, you know, on your way back, if you're heading for Aomori, you have to come through Morioka because it's kind of like an exchange for the trains, right? So the trains split there. You can head back home to Tokyo or you can head further north to to Aomori and beyond. So um, when we got off at Morioka, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, they had this everywhere. They were really, and and rightly so, right? But they were very, very proud of this um, Mm. thing. But as you say, we marched quite quickly past a few cherry blossom trees and a, what I think was a castle. It was like, yeah, 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 that's lovely, but we have to get to Dante, right? So you've been to Dante, James, haven't you? When did you go? Yeah, I have been there. I, I was there um, uh, just a couple months ago. Um, I think I've mentioned to you before, maybe on my other podcast, but I, I did a, a rather misguided three days uh, going up to Tohoku. Wait, you do another podcast? <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, yes. I do do have a couple you accuse, of listeners. You accuse me of moonlighting. Just a couple of listeners. Yeah, nothing compared to our our bountiful audience. Um, but uh, yeah, I decided to take a weekend. Uh, you know, the, those those really great three day passes that I've mentioned before, where you can you know basically go up on a Friday and get three nights, um, but hop on and hop off the train. I mean, it's it's absolutely perfect for for jazz joint hunting. So I decided to go up thinking, well, you know, I mean, I, I'm a New Yorker. I, I went to school in college. I went to upstate New York where it's very, very freezing, tons of snow. I can handle the winter. Completely overestimated my tolerance for cold weather after living right. in the Tokyo region for so long when it never even really snows. Um, I found it to be pretty punishing up there. But um, yeah, so I, I was up there. I was wandering around uh, a couple other places we'll get to on, on an upcoming episode. But uh, I had spent the morning uh, and the early afternoon wandering around uh, Morioka, doing a little sightseeing, uh, you know, to sort of get a feel for why it had such a buzz. Uh, you know, got the, the famous photo shot of Mount Iwate on the bridge over the river. It was really lovely. But after about four hours of that, uh, I was starting to really feel it in the bones. And I made my way to Dante. And it was really interesting because I walked up, I walked in. And uh, Philip, you might remember when you walk in, there's this just gigantic cabinet full of like CDs and books. And then behind yeah. the counter, there's like a lot of vinyl, but it's extremely cluttered. I mean, there is stuff just everywhere dishes, old newspapers, et cetera, et cetera. And so I walked to the right to the little sort of like customer space, and it's extremely narrow, and there was nobody there. And so I, not only was there nobody there, there was no music playing either. And I was thinking like, oh, okay, is is the place closed? But the lights are on, the door was open. It was one of those weird moments where you almost kind of feel like, should I just wait outside? Because I really don't want to give the old owner of this joint a big fright when they come in and see some tall foreign man standing in the middle who they don't know, you know? Um, but eventually, uh, who I assume uh, was the the wife uh, of the original owner. She came in. Um, she served me a coffee. She put on a record. And I thought, oh, okay, this is it's cozy. It's nothing too exciting. It's a pleasant place. And, and top-notch... Um, uh, how do you call it? Crockery? Oh my God, you're gonna laugh. That's the wrong word. What do, what do you call it? Not crockery. I, I'd co I'd go with cro I'd go with crockery. Is that the yeah, right word? I'd go yeah. with crockery. You know, like I'll give you that plates. one. Okay, good. Yeah. So they they have That's their crockery. Own, yeah, yeah. Their own branded, you know, white small white coffee mug with with Dante written on it with a nice little logo. And I always love to see that. So I was thinking to myself, okay, very pleasant regional Kisaten. Um, nothing too special, but definitely one that I would want you to go visit. You know, because it is very cluttery, and you know how we love that aesthetically. But then the old owner, she obviously went and called him, unknown where he was. He came in uh, specifically to sit down and talk to me. And uh, Philip, I am not joking. And you know that I love to talk, okay? I didn't get a word in with this guy for about 30 minutes straight. He just sat down and he said, are you the guy that goes to the jazz kisa? Because I had given my, my business card, you know? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. And, and then he just started talking. And, um, you know, my ear in Japanese is not as good as it should be. And it's certainly not good for the dialect and the accent up there. Combined with it, he was probably in his late 70s, early 80s. So I maybe only got about a third of what he was saying. Um, but he went on a very long ramble about just for some reason, jazz education. He had a real bee in his bonnet about that jazz education was bad. 
And uh, it was quite interesting because I actually agree with with, with some of that idea that, that that jazz shouldn't be codified in in you know upper education. But but the rest of it went off on very wild tangents that I didn't really understand. Even including something about Ginger Baker. I still remember him talking about Ginger Baker. But oh, I, I don't know why he was talking about him. <laughs> Maybe something to do with the intersection of jazz and rock because you know Ginger Baker loved jazz and and um, and he did have some rock albums you know in the Kisaten as well. Yeah, he did right yeah he actually played there was one particular that he was playing i think when we came in now when i when we were there it was him he was there um albeit behind the counter initially and there was a much younger woman who may have it was definitely was not his wife i would say it was maybe his daughter um but what was interesting when when we went was that it was um they were doing this kind of lunch set and i mean i know you'll be horrified well first of all when you come up the stairs actually um there's a kind of a sign and it it's it's got this hand painted saxophone, but the 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 font and the of which has the name of the place looks so kind of eighties. And in fact, they said I think they've been open forty six years, which sort of just about works out as that kind of period. It's there's a lot of black and red in it as well, which always reminds beautiful me of the eighties. And they've Be- got those beautiful, shiny. Beautiful yes, loved it. You got those shiny tables as well, so mm. it's very much like. Uh, and then this really rather peculiar um, Russian doll of of Mikhail Gorbachev, one of those Russian dolls with <laughs> other dolls inside it. Uh, but it's it's it just says Gorby Gorby on it. Uh, I have a photograph of that too on my phone, so I'll, I'll put that up, up on the Instagram. But yeah, I mean, we went in and there was a couple of people having lunch, and I toyed with the lunch set, and I thought, oh, come on, what are you doing now? So I, I in the end we just had another coffee, and by that point I was already like four or five coffees in. I was really, but you know, sometimes it's just the only sort of thing and the safest kind of thing. So it was very smoky, although it wasn't like, there wasn't a lot of customers smoking, but I think they were smoking behind the counter. So there wasn't a lot of ventilation and it was like quite intense, but eventually he did come out as well and asked me, you know, what kind of thing do you like? What kind of jazz do you like? And then I mentioned Billy Harper and he said, oh, well, I'll put Billy Harper on. But then we had this slightly odd exchange where he said something along the lines of, oh, yeah, Billy Harper's not, he's he's not really got the will anymore these days or something like that. And I was like, oh, well, actually, he's kind of online and he's quite <laughs> active on Instagram and he's like playing gigs recently and all this sort of thing. So, but then I, I didn't want to start I, having I like this argument. Right? I literally just interviewed Billy Harper six months yes. ago about yes. his new project. So yeah, right? that's that was but it's also curious. It's it's sort of like what an odd thing to say because if you're a jazz fan at all, you know that these guys of a previous generation, um, they pretty much play absolutely until the last moment that they can no longer perform, you know? And I, I didn't quite, th- th- there was something about this guy, and I, I, I don't want to accuse him of having maybe some slight dementia. I, I don't know what it was, but there was something off off about the way that he was talking to me, at least about this thing. Like you, So you mentioned about the Billy Harper, but he was going on quite a bit about the scene in New York because I told him that I was from New York City, and he was, he was going really really deep into how like well you know jazz went kind of off the rails in new york because of something 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 and then the people don't really understand and in japan like it's all just a pale imitation and blah 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 blah. now we've heard that before some of these older kisa owners um do often have a negative 
impression of Japanese jazz music. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, completely unjustified in my in my view. But I, I, I get it from their generation. There might be other reasons why they think that. But but there were there was definitely something about this guy, and I couldn't quite vibe with him and um yeah i mean i shouldn't i shouldn't make assumptions that it, about his mental state it, it was more just maybe me not quite getting what he wanted to 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 communicate to me because of his dialect because i was absolutely frigid to the bone after five hours in morioka um and also, yeah i, I mean had i had a similar things you know yeah i mean i had a similar kind of experience because you had obviously um you know, I was on a bit of a schedule to get up to Aomori. And again, like I mentioned in the previous episode, you know, you, you can't be messing around with these trains. You've got to get the train that you've got to get to get where you need to go to on time and stuff like that. So we didn't have like a load of time in Dante. But um, yeah, he told, like I when I, he said, oh, well, I'll put on some Billy Harper. But then between that and putting on the record, there must have been 15 minutes. And you had said to me, oh, just be careful because the old guy loves to chat and like you'll never get out of there. And I thought, well, this is weird because like no one's chatting and we're just sitting here listening and it's fine. And then he started on this very long story. Now, again, like I picked up a fair bit of it, but it was to do with Mel Lewis and Thad Jones, I think, and something to do with like concerts in Ginza. I think Billy Harper was also involved and something to do with like the police closing down these concerts in like the early 60s and like this very very kind of long complicated story so I don't know whether he'd gone down there or he, or he was like he lived down there or whatever but eventually he put on Capra Black and played that and then he kind of disappeared off and then he came back out like for a bit more of a chat but whatever way and, and I think you know like you say I mean he must be probably late 70s mid 80s if you know and so, yeah, there was definitely like, he's an old guy and there was, there wasn't like a lot of train of thought. I mean, he was very, he was able to tell a story, but like it wasn't necessarily connected. And like you say, mm. when you throw in the kind of like the accent and stuff like that as well. But mm -hmm. there's a couple of like interesting things sitting about because, you know, um, on the, on the, on the record shelves, there's the photograph, which I think we've mentioned a, a very long time ago in another episode about Basie. And I, of course, immediately recognized it because when I'd been in Basie up on the second floor, I'd been coming down the stairs and I'd seen this photograph of Count Basie holding an apple. And in the skin of the apple, someone had very beautifully carved the name Basie. And I mentioned this photograph and the woman who was showing me around at the time said, oh, yes, that that was the master who carved that in the apple. So he'd carved this apple, given it to Count Basie. And he was also a photographer. So then he'd photograph Count Basie hold, holding this apple. Now, interestingly, in Dante, they have a photograph of this apple only without Count Basie in it. But the photograph is signed by Count Basie. And then when you go into the toilet, there's actually a mirror hanging up, which has D Dante and Basie has the two logos in gold lettering at the bottom oh, of the mirror. So there wow. must be quite a strong connection between the two. I don't know wow. what it was or what Wait, it is. Philip, but absolutely huge break. Well, not breaking news, shocking news. I didn't go to the bathroom in Dante. Can you that, that is shocking. That is, that is shocking. After and and after after a couple cups of coffee and walking around in the cold all day. I I I, I hey listen. 
Bless modern medicine. We'll just leave it at that. But um, damn it, I missed that. <laughs> yeah, because, and that's also, I, I broke one of my two golden rules in jazz keys. So number one, never order lunch. Number two, always check the bathroom because there's always cool things in there. There's posters, there's flyers, yeah, 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 yeah. there's weird sculptures, there's weird lighting. There's always something like interesting and fun and quirky in there. So I'm, I'm damn it, I'm sad that I missed that. But what we do know though, that, you know, it, we've seen this in, in uh, other regions in in Japan, particularly in Kyushu, um, but also in Tohoku, there is a lot of a lot of regional connectivity between the owners because when they would have opened their shops, we know that they used to put on they used to do a lot of promotional activity to bring you know to bring artists up there to work with the city governments to put on these shows to host the musicians in some cases like with our man at Ray Brown become dear friends with the jazz musicians you know um, so we know that there's a there's a lot of like relationships there and um, well we'll be getting into this on on, on uh, next week's episode sometimes those relationships are not very good so yeah be prepared for some northern Japan jazz kisa gossip and scandal coming up soon listeners um but god i don't think is there anything more niche than what you just said there <laughs> north japan jazz kisa gossip i mean wow people are on the edge <laughs> of their seat i'm sure they are how will they wait two yeah, weeks to yeah. hear that how will they wait <laughs> but but that is interesting well, look, that was because he did say as well uh one of the things i did have in my notes um that he mentioned to me that i caught was um he had helped to sponsor some of the local university jazz bands and you know we, we've okay. mentioned many many times here that that university jazz departments in japan over the years have been very important in terms of not just producing musicians but the work that they did in the community to put on gigs uh to do mm. collaborative gigs where they would open up say for a visiting american jazz band um you know putting on free festivals so their sort of impact in the jazz world is is, is quite strong i think compared to to a lot of countries so uh i, I was kind of glad to hear that he he was involved with that and i do remember not in the bathroom but in the stairwell he had a poster for for some sort of like local uh, university big band that was going to have a yeah. upcoming um but but other than that i mean i would say that you know dante was an example of one of those just one of those sort of quirky regional places where the, definitely the guy had a lot of a lot of things to say it was just unfortunate that that uh, for multiple reasons didn't really get to understand everything that he was getting at yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, I mean, it's just another one of many. I'm just looking at some of the photos too. There's also something I hadn't noticed before, but right, and I'll put this on Instagram when the episode goes live, but there, right beside the Gorbachev Russian doll, there is a jar that look, it, it says the word catch on it, catch something. And it looks like, it looks like a scorpion in formaldehyde. Oh my God. So look out for that one. I mean, I, I don't know how I didn't notice that, but I mean, I as I said, it was kind of slightly fraught morning and it had been raining slightly too, and I was not prepared for that. But um, yeah, Dante was a nice place. I remember, I mean, Tom in particular was really struggling when he came out. Like it was very, very thick, the atmosphere, you know, like it was a very smoky, very kind of intense uh, atmosphere and not a lot of ventilation. There's one window down the back. But like a lovely place to go. And, you know, again, just um, not only is, is, you know, you go somewhere like Morioka, there's, you know, three, four more places. It's not a case of like, as we said before, you, you know, go one, one city has this place, another city has this place. So just another indication of like the richness and the history and the kind of legacy of some of these places. But um, 
after I'd uh, been in Dante, the the place I went next was um, was um, a place that I think wasn't probably on our radar, right? I mean, this was just digging around a little bit, and uh, I'd, it had come up again on the Jazz Kisa map, Jazz Kisa JP map, and uh, this place was called Kayun Bashino Johnny. Now, I have a confession to make, which is probably that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I hadn't really done my research to the degree that I should have done for this particular place. So, in a way, I'm kind of glad because what happened as we went in here, James, was like a lot of things kind of started to unfold, <laughs> and I was thinking, "Oh my God, James is going to die when he hears this," because you know, for the very reason that I wasn't immediately clear exactly who or what this place was. So, basically, we arrived at. Kayun Bashino Johnny, which in itself is kind of like a bit of a name, right? Like it's a bit of a mouthful, right? Now, it was in one of these um, kind of tall apartment buildings, you know, so it was, I, I can't remember exactly, but something like the sixth floor or something, right? Mm-hmm. And when you come out of the elevator, um, there's all this stuff on the stairs, you know, as we've seen in a lot of these places. So there's the kind of stuff piled up and stuff like along the bottom of the stairs and this kind of stuff. And the door was there obviously and it was literally open in the sense of like we tried it and it was open but there didn't seem to be anyone around i think the sign said closed but it was a couple of minutes before opening so we just kind of waited and thought right well we'll see what happens and the reason this place was so like it was it was so fortunate in terms of the timing because having looked at their website they're only open on a tuesday and wednesday so they only open two days a week and happily one of those two days was the day that I was passing through Morioka. So two minutes later, standing there awkwardly in the hallway, you hear this these footsteps on the stairs and the master appears from the floor below and he comes up and he's like, oh, hello. And we're like, oh, are you open? He's like, yep, sure, sure. Opens the door, takes us in. And I mean, this place, James, right? So you come in, you're faced with a curtain, which goes into the counter. To your left is the toilet. And all along the walls towards the toilet, there's like books and records. And then you go right into what is a square room, fairly like large-ish room, but like one single room. And all along one wall is records. Then on the other side, opposite the records, there must be five different sets of speakers all stacked up on the on the wall and then in the middle there's a grand piano on the at the window and then in the middle there's like four tables and all around uh the tables is like kind of bunkette seating so like if it was full it would be quite like an intense it would feel like a family gathering right because you'd be just basically sitting in this like square room facing other people and uh you know having your coffee or whatever and so First of all, I'm like, oh my God, this is an unbelievable place, right? And then the owner comes out and he's like, well, what would you like? So we ordered a coffee. It's all going just as you would expect. Oh yeah, no worries. Do you want milk? Blah, blah, blah. And he brings out these two coffees in like, you know, nice china cups. There's a lot of like lace about and like kind of, you know, doilies and those kind of things as well. So it's this weird, (laughs) you know, contrast between like jazz cafe and sort of like a a kind of like an older person's house. And like, it's just very, very odd, right? Like, you know, it's like quite early in the morning. Mm. And um, then he comes down, this guy, the owner, he comes down, he sits down and, um, you know, has his coffee. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, he's coming to sit with us. So then we start chatting, right? So I was like, oh, so you're only open two days a week? And he said, well, yes. And now you referenced this in a previous episode, right? So the Toshiko Akiyoshi Museum that you had visited or 
you know, museum of sorts. Uh, he seems to be, he seems to be heavily involved in that. Right. So he kind of part runs that, which explains why uh, the, yes. Okay. And, and here's, here's where I'll, here's where I'll jump in, Philip. So we, we, I I think everything, we'll step back for a second. So people who've been listening the last couple episodes know that obviously, you know, your trip back here was delayed for years and years because of the pandemic. And um, before you were coming, we were doing a lot of preparation about timing and where could we go together, et cetera, et cetera. And somewhere along the line, it just slipped by that you were going to go here because the story of, well, everyone calls him Johnny. Okay. His real name is Terui-san, Terui-ken. And, you know, you mentioned the Akio Shitoshiko. So he is the guy who released or produced uh, the first big band album from uh, Akio Shisan and Lou Tabakin, the saxophonist and her husband. Okay, he produced that record. Okay, he also was quite famous for not only his gigantic record collection, but, and Philip, you'll remember this because after the great earthquake of uh, 2011, you went up to do some, you know, t- to, to help out with, with cleaning up. Um, Johnny, as they call Terrisan, he lost um, a huge part of his collection because the cafe was in uh, Rikuzen Takata, which is on the coast, and yeah. which was severely, severely damaged and pretty much destroyed by the tsunami. Um, now, Terrisan at the time was not there. It was his ex-wife who was running the, the, the cafe. Thankfully, she was okay, uh, but they lost a lot of the records, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it was it was quite a, a quite a big struggle for him to sort of rebound from that and then open the place in Morioka. As you just mentioned now, though, he's only opening it two days a week because the other days he is at the Akiyoshi sort of exhibit slash museum. Which I which I went to. Unfortunately, he wasn't there that day. So um, that's why you know the, the, it, when you look at his website for for the shop, it, you know it says oh, only open Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So I, I think you remember we had a lot of back and forth of sort of okay, we've got to adjust the schedule so you can make sure you make it there that day because otherwise you'll miss it on Thursday. Yeah, and I hadn't uh, like at this point I hadn't joined the dots right, and like had I been with you, probably it would have been different. But I was with Tom, mm. so I was kind of like as I was sort of processing this like you know, and had arrived like, you know, less than two days before. So I was starting to kind of like, oh, okay. And then he started to really warm up and he was like, well, actually I produced a few records. So he started to pull out these records on Johnny's disc uh, on the label, right? Which again, is one of these kind of cult, you know, Japanese uh, record labels. And obviously, you know, we all know now that like a lot of this Japanese jazz has become so collectible and so popular and all this kind of thing. So he started pulling out these, started putting out these records one by one. And then, you know, he pulled out this Eiji Nakayama album and it's like signed by him. And like, he's just Mm. like, Oh, and I did this one and I did this one. So I'm like, okay, so this is Johnny. Right. Okay. This is Johnny's disc, Johnny. And like, I'm starting, like these, these things are starting to kind of slot into place. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like amazing. And so all these like, you know, highly expensive and collectible Japanese records are now like gathered in front of me. Right. And on this table, you know, I'm just like, this is, this is bad. Then he disappears. Right. So he comes back and he's like, in Japanese, he says, do you know this? And he's holding the BBE J Jazz Volume One, 1969 to 1984 compilation, uh, right? Magic. <laughs> so he comes out and he just he's just standing in front of me and he goes, "Do you know this?" And I said, "Well, yes." I said, "Those are my photographs on the cover," and he just went, <laughs> "What?" 
and he just lost his mind, right? He started to slap me on the arm. Then he shook my right hand, and at the same time, he took my other hand. So we've got these hands crossed. He's shaking both hands. He's going, Urashi, Urashi. He's like, happy. I'm I'm so happy. Then he puts the record on, and he reaches down and gives me a hug, James. And I was like, I don't think I've ever been hugged by a man in Japan in 20 years, like in that way, right? It's just like, what is happening? And he just was so delighted that he'd like made this connection and I obviously was like thrilled right because I was like you know this is mad that this compilation happened like way back now like five six seven years ago it happened in London and somehow it's made his way back to him and what was really interesting was then he basically said and again I'm sort of like still coming down from this and trying to piece this story together but he said basically I think his licensing is held in Tokyo and he got this phone call to license two of these tracks. So two of the tracks he's produced are on this BB uh, J Jazz Volume 1. And he'd been like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Got them licensed or whatever. And then he wanted to know what this compilation was. Now, if I followed the story correctly, he called the owner of Egakan to find out, like, what's the story with this record? And of course, the owner of Egakan, his photograph is also one of the ones that's featured on the J Jazz Volume 1 cover. And he said, oh, it's this album. So Johnny then sought out this BBE album. So he has this album. So he's standing here with this like one record, which is this Umeo Miteita, uh, uh, Johnny, which is a live album by the Sakamoto Teru trio at the old place in Rikuzen Takata. And he's also holding in his right hand uh, the BBE Volume 1 record. And James, I'm going to send you the photograph now. And I want you to tell me, have you ever seen a happier looking person than the man holding these two records. I mean, it was just one of the nicest experiences I've had in uh, all of these places that we've been to oh, over the last wow. eight years. That's just, that's just beautiful. Yeah. You've got, <laughs> you've got to get that. You've got to get that up on, uh, you've got to get that I mean, up on, 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 on the site. That's, that's incredible. Now, Philip, it, it's just so amazing because, you know, again, you usually you and I, and especially considering we had four plus years <laughs> to get our to get our uh, stuff together. Uh, but yeah, this 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 shop for whatever reason, you know, and obviously we mentioned on a previous episode, you know, your flights were delayed. There was a lot of chaos going on, so somehow it sort of slipped by us because we we should have known. Yeah, I mean, he um, there's a and you'll see this in the photo, but there's a huge um, sort of manga image of him. Uh, in his younger years on the ceiling as well, actually, along with the, the posters that I mentioned earlier. And I also photographed it. There was a, at some point a manga actually about the the original place in Rikuzen Takata. So it's kind of interesting, you know, and I think also, um, you know, we live in a world where people do multiple things often because there's no way to make a living doing one specific thing. So that contrast between, you know, turning your hand to different things and being successful and then this prizing or this kind of prioritizing of like this one single pursuit like we talked about maybe you know with with somewhere like um the owner of bird 56 and those kind of places where you know Mm. it's never been closed it's just this singular pursuit and you know it's who's to say one is better than the other but um what was really interesting was actually the album the other album that he's he's holding the sakamoto teru trio album he released that, he said, in 1980, and then he opened his cafe in 1981. But what was interesting was that when we were discussing the BBE record, he was saying, oh, well, you know, jazz, 
Japanese jazz becomes so expensive. And I was like, yeah, it's crazy. You know, people are paying crazy prices for it now and, and this kind of thing. And he said, well, actually, I've been trying to find this record. Now, why he didn't have it, or maybe it was lost, or, or you know, as you mentioned, the tsunami or something like that. But he, either way, he didn't have a copy of this record. So he actually went online to try and find it. And I mean, this was kind of like off the back of already this amazing thing and like being hugged and having, being like shaken, shaken uh, very hard. You know, he was so excited mm -hmm. about the BBE thing. He was like, well, I actually went online and it was like, you know, over like a hundred thousand yen. And he's like, that's just crazy. Like I, so he, you know, he was looking to buy this record that he himself had produced all these years ago. And so then he got this message from a customer who was in Athens on holiday. And he was like, oh, I've just seen your record. And so Johnny was like, and at the time his, his wife was also there. So the two of them were kind of telling the story. And he was like, ah, oh, Athens. And he's like, at first he was like, I couldn't understand why, what, why my record would be in Athens. And then of course he remembered that in 1982, he'd gone to Athens on holiday and he'd taken this no, wait, record. Wait, wait, wait. You, you, you said 1982. Yeah, and he'd, he'd gone to Athens in 1982 and he'd taken this record on holiday and this record he'd given to this record shop owner and he said, would you display this? And that record had been sitting in this record shop in Athens oh for 40 years. Incredible. Now the customer bought it and brought it back. So the record that he was holding was this record. Like yeah, how... Insane is that story, it's, right? It's just, it's just fantastic. But you know, <laughs> Philip, it's incredible. I mean, we over and over again, we, it, in a sense, and and look, I don't want to take credit for this. This is just a, a, a happy outcome. It's not something that we planned. But the fact that we've been doing this, um, this project, uh, working with BBE, um, helping to sort of promote. Japanese jazz world, especially the Japanese jazz Kisa world as well. But we've seen that there's such a great appetite for it among music fans overseas. And again and again, um, people here are surprised by that. So I'm actually really happy, though, that, that Johnny got to, like, get the record back from a customer. I mean, he must have just been shocked, especially because, you know, again, I, you know, this isn't in Tokyo. It's not the easiest place to get to, right? So, you know, the fact that he, after 40 years he was able to get that back is just nuts. And, it's and, absolutely know, it's incredible. Like reaffirms that the music, that that, that, that quality of, of Japanese jazz as well. I mean, we mentioned some of the Kisa owners aren't that into it, but, but Johnny spent a, his career uh, you know, producing these albums and getting them out there. And it's obviously had an impact, you know? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's just, I, I just thought it was phenomenal. And that was off the back of already this whole kind of like excitement around this thing. So, you know, we had to move on and like, he, he actually was like, oh, you have to go. I mean, we could have mm -hmm. sat there, right? You could have sat there all day and just like talked and, and chatted, but like, you know, had to move on, places to go. Uh, places to photograph and, and so on. So we left there and again, they, you know, escort us out into the, the lift. We had that sort of slightly awkward thing, you know, sometimes in Japan where people watch you leave and like the doors don't close quickly enough and we, you know, we're sort of waving <laughs> and then, and then my last image of him was like blowing a kiss to me as the doors oh. closed. He, he blew a kiss and I was like, this is just not Gorgeous. what I expected this morning. So Absolutely. that was Morioka, you know, we had, uh, you know, hightailed it back to the station um, so, and we I'm jumped. So, I'm so bummed then, you know, because I, when I was in Morioka, I, I was, so as I mentioned, I was there on a Friday and so um, I would have expected to have seen him at the Akiyoshi Museum slash exhibit in the bus station. 
but yeah. nobody was there. And then I spent I spent about an hour looking at all of the memorabilia and stuff because it was really really beautifully put together. It's so much stuff, you know. And then uh, right across from it is a, is, a, is, a, is a sort of a little coffee place because there's also a hotel lobby there on the second floor. And so I sat and had a coffee for another forty five minutes or so, but nobody was there, you know. And uh, I, I just thought, oh, okay, you know, I mean, it's Japan. I mean, you think about in, <laughs> think about in other countries, you certainly wouldn't be leaving these glass cases of very, very old and s- sometimes probably valuable jazz memorabilia unattended. You know what totally, I mean? Yeah. And and there it's just like, oh, it's fine. Nobody's going to hassle with it. Um, so, uh, but I, I didn't get to meet him. Um, uh, of course, I know, you know, I, I know people that know him. And I'm sure that if I go up and I say, hey, uh, remember that uh, Irishman with the camera that came by a couple months ago? <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. sure I'll get the warm welcome as, uh, uh, as well. So I'll make sure that I try to get up there on a Tuesday or Wednesday. But, but Philip, yeah, and I'm, so, I, I'm just, I'm just uh, you know, you've been teasing it now for weeks saying that like oh you know i've got some stories man but i'm gonna save them for the podcast and i was like yeah yeah, yeah. all right they're, they're not gonna be that good well, whatever that's fine I, i've had it. it's just it's just one of those layers you know it's like <laughs> you know we started this project we photograph you know photograph some places then these photographs end up on this uh first kind of you know fairly pioneering compilation of these you know that really at the at the start of the whole j jazz kind of interest and then somehow that ends up back there and then you go in and happen to meet him and, you know, your photos are there. And I was like, that's, that's us on the back. That's Tokyo Jazz Joints. That's my name. And, you know, it just, just one of those really beautiful like things. And, you know, he was so happy that it just made me think, you know, there's, there's such a value in doing these kind of things and like all the effort and the money and all these things that, you know, like we've put into the project, just kind of make it worthwhile. So we hightailed it back to the station and, and jumped on the next Shinkansen to Aomori, which is where we're going to pick up things in um, the next episode, episode 53, in a couple of weeks' time. Can't wait. And, uh, yeah, Aomori, um, you know, the most northern part of Honshu Island, uh, famous for a lot of different things. Uh, and uh, three, uh, well, actually, in my case, four Absolutely superb jazz spots. So I can't wait to talk about them, Philip. And um, yeah, man, I'm, it's so great to be back recording again. And uh, before we go, of course, a little bit of PR. Philip, as I mentioned on my recent uh, podcast recording, when I was, you know, because I actually make a very uh, intensive effort to promote Tokyo Jazz Joints, um, although the, the the opposite would not be true. Um, but uh, as I mentioned on mine, I said, listen, we all know uh, that worldwide we have had fans contact us um, that they that they love the show, and I mean, how can you resist two middle-aged men, uh, one of whom is you know a little bit drunk and gregarious, one of whom is a little bit moody and off-putting, um, talk about their adventures uh, visiting jazz cafes in Japan? I mean, it's it's an absolute winner. It's never been done before, and it will never be done better. So, thank you, listeners. Philip, thank you for your hard work editing, and uh, I can't wait to continue. Continue the story in Aomori next time. No worries. Someday we will learn to love each other. In the meantime, take it easy. Uh, Have a good week and I'll talk to you. Bye. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye.